delivering that message. I was back here looking through this booklet. This is awesome. It's got a lot of things that our church does throughout any particular calendar year. We've done a lot, and there's a lot of pictures in here. One thing I kept thinking as I was looking through this is that all the pictures in here are a lot of us doing things, and it shows that we have a lot of outreach, and it shows us we have a lot of family, and we have a lot of love, but it also tells me that we need to get like a directory because there, there's some things in here that you may not know we're doing, and it shows that we are doing a lot over the last year or year and a half. This is all this stuff's here in just in 2020. So it's making me think about directory. So keep that in your mind as uh, we think about some things going into the future. It'd be great to have a directory. I'm handing this to you, Sheila. Okay, I'll bring it to you. <laughs> that way she can look at it. Yeah, but a directory may be something that we need to be thinking about to identify one another. I mean, we don't get to walk around no more and greet each other like we used to. And so maybe we have a directory and, and show some of the things we're doing together. Uh, we can give it to prospective members when they come in to see some of the outreach we have. So keep that in mind. Be praying about that as well. All right, today in our time together, as the children have departed and go to their time, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're also going to get into Luke 14. That's a little bit later. It's not the emphasis. The emphasis today is going to be placed upon the gospel of Matthew and chapter 13. But we'll read something from Luke a bit later if you want to earmark that in chapter 14. But our intent today is talking about the value of the kingdom. And one of the things then that I began to think about last week is that there are a lot of strange things that's happened during this particular calendar year, 2020, and nearly every one of them that seems strange to us that has not happened before is directly related to COVID. A lot of things are different this year because of the coronavirus. But something that has happened that was maybe unforeseen that is also strange is that there is a coin shortage. I mean, who would have thought that a virus would introduce a coin shortage? But that has happened. And when thinking about that, I begin to think about this too. That I often talk to you, you may have heard me say before, that the world's best drink is a what? Diet Mountain Dew. Thank you for playing. That better than the, this regular Diet Mountain Dew. I mean, I'm thankful for receiving the two-liter bottles and the 20-ounce bottles and things. But the best Diet Mountain Dew is what? The Fountain Diet Mountain Dew. You're, you're learning me quite well. All right? So I often, maybe not to your surprise, will go retrieve a Diet Mountain Dew. If I happen to be in Princeton, I most likely will stop at the Casey's on South Main and go to get a Fountain Diet Mountain Dew 32 ounce. When I go in there, the cost. I don't always talk about how you get such great liquid refreshment and such reduced cost. But it's $1.27 when you go into the Casey's on the South Main to get a Diet Fountain Mountain Dew. Again, the best drink possible to have. But if I'm in Oakland City, which I am here quite a bit, I will go to Chuckles, which is at the one I actually prefer to go to Chuckles to get their Diet Mountain Dew. And it costs $1.06. $1.06. What a bargain to get a Diet Mountain Dew. But here's the thing. When I go in there, I generally will give them two $1 bills. 
which means then for quick math, if I go to Casey's, I'm getting back 73 cents. If I go to Chuckles here in town, I'm getting back 94 cents. But there's a coin shortage, right? So I'm thinking, well, I'll help the coin shortage, and I just won't collect the worthless coins. What is the worthless coins? Pennies. So I have in my pocket here. No, not that pocket, this pocket. I have in my pocket here some change left over for some drinks. I'm dropping money already on the floor. So to witness how we place value on certain things, we deem a penny as worthless. If I throw these pennies out here, is anybody going to come up and get these pennies? I mean, here they are laying out there. No, I don't see nobody coming forward to get none of it. Here's a nickel. I mean, I put the pennies. Okay, good, Steve. He went and got a penny. There's a nickel. You want a nickel too? Here's the dime. You gonna come over and get that dime? Here comes. Here comes. Okay. Now, are you ready for this? There's another dime. Here, race over this. Here's a flat washer. <laughs> there goes a quarter. There's a quarter. So notice how they will. We will come and retrieve things of certain value. We kind of like the nickels, the dimes, the quarters, but we don't care much about the penny. I Steve did kind of pick it up, but you know, he didn't get up. He just reached for it. But when it comes to buying that Dime Mountain Dew, I often give back the pennies. Don't even collect them. Don't even take them. So notice how then, even when it comes to money, I was thinking about this during the week, even when it comes to money, we assign a value to things. Have you ever noticed that we assign a value to all sorts of items, even of money which already has a value. We may, if we're walking along, find a dime or a quarter, we'll pick it up. But a penny, we may just keep on walking. So we assign a value to things. Well, that thought occurred to me this week. So I began to think about it some, and I began to think about this then. What value do we place on our salvation? Or what value do we assign to the kingdom of heaven? And even further, is it even possible to assign or to place a value on our salvation or the kingdom of heaven? Well, today we're going to look into Matthew in chapter 13 and find an answer to some of these questions concerning the value that we sometimes place on things or of the kingdom of heaven or of heaven. Matthew chapter 13, we're looking today in verses 44 through 52. So stand with me this morning, if you're able to, as we simply stand, as we do each and every week, to honor the reading of the word. In Matthew chapter 13, we start in verse 44, which says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. And buys that field. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it to the shore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous 
and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Well, they said to him, Yes. When he said to them, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Father, Lord, we thank you for the day you've given us. And Lord, we thank you for the reading of the word. We ask today, Lord, for a blessing to be pronounced upon it. We today, Lord, turn our attention to how we can be guilty at times of taking certain things for granted, like our salvation or the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, today we recognize there is great value in the kingdom of heaven. And we ask ourselves, is it possible to place or to name the value? Well, Lord, we ask then as we go through this message that you'll see, that you'll give us indication of how we can be able to determine that, if possible at all. And we ask, Lord, that you lead and guide and anoint the time together and apply it, this message, to our lives today. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you're seated there, recognize that most commentaries that you may read about these particular verses, if you have a liberty to do that, will simply label this as three parables. And they indeed truly are three parables. Your Bible may even be divided that way by the sections of each parable, because in verse 44, we have the first of the three parables of the hidden treasure. In verses 45 and 46, we have the second of the three parables, the costly pearl. And then a larger chunk of the reading occurs in the third parable, the dragnet, in verses 47 through 52. So admittedly then, yes, there are three parables, and they are all different. But yet, really, they are all the same. And that each one of them demonstrates a value placed upon the kingdom of heaven. In fact, they all demonstrate, they all really emphasize that our main point of the text today, which is this, that the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, even our salvation, is of immeasurable value. That is really the main point of any of the parables and all the verses we read today. Now, there's a sub-point, we'll get to it later. But the main point is that the kingdom of heaven is of immeasurable value. Now, having said that, I was thinking about this this week as well, that if you watch much TV at all or just have the TV on casually at times, you most likely have seen the longest lasting, longest running ad campaign of all time. It is the MasterCard priceless commercial, the most successful longest running ad campaign. It started in 1997 with a father and son who go to a baseball game. If you've seen any of the MasterCard prices commercials, you may know what I'm talking about. But in case somehow, someway you've missed it, Chase has one queued up for us here this morning. Two tickets, $28. Two hot dogs, two popcorns, and two sodas, $18. One autographed baseball, $45. Real conversation with 11-year-old son, priceless. There are some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. 
accepted all of them, even Major League ballparks. And so there is you in your commercial for today. It is priceless. The MasterCard commercial actually tells us today what we want to know about the value of the kingdom. Can you place a value in the kingdom? We're talking about that this morning. But if we can't recognize that it is immeasurable, it is incalculable, it is inestimable. In fact, it is completely, totally priceless. If MasterCard got anything right, they certainly got it right that the kingdom of heaven, as we apply the commercial to our lives as Christians and believers, it is right. It is priceless. There are some things that money cannot buy. And one of the things that money cannot buy is the kingdom of heaven. Now, having said all that, let's go back to the text and begin to understand the parables a little bit better. And the first of the three is the parable of the treasure found in verse 44. We read it once more. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, upon reading the parable of verse 44, burying your valuables or burying the money in the ground might seem really strange to us. But it was a very common practice in that day and time in the first century. I mean, today, I don't know anybody that goes in a backyard and begins to bury the valuables and the money because today most of us will put our money in the bank. Any valuables we have, we'll put in a safe deposit box. But back in those days, there were no banks. There was no place to keep their valuables and their money. So they would hide it into the ground. I mean, back in the day when John was young, when that was a long, long time ago, right? You may have heard of a wealthy man, not so much that he's wealthy, but he back in his day, maybe even still today, will take his money, not trust the bank, but put it in his mattress. Or you may have heard of a wealthy person who doesn't trust a bank back in that particular day and time, maybe still even today a little bit and we'll put the money in the ground, or maybe not the mattress, but we'll put it into a coffee can, or maybe a mason jar, to be able to keep it nearby. In fact, when Sheila and I first got married many years ago, 30-something, 36 years ago, we actually began to keep our money in the freezer at the apartment we were living in. That way the cash is available and close to us. But in this day and time when the parable is being written, there is no bank, there is no coffee can, there is no mason jar, there is no freezer. So they did what sounded logical to them, and they found a place within the country of the field in which they were living, and they buried their treasure. They buried their valuables, and they buried their money. Now that was especially true if anyone who was an enemy coming toward them when they was afraid that someone could raid their homes and steal everything. Yeah, so burying your valuables and burying your money was quite common back in that day and time. In fact, it was so common, it's even referred to later in the book of Matthew in the gospel, in chapter 25, what is known as the parable of the talents. If you know the parable, you know that there was a man in which he received five talents. There was another man who received two talents. 
And there was a third then who received one. But the first two that received the five and received the second, they went and expanded upon that. But the last thing, the last man who received one talent, you know what he did with it? He buried it. He hid it in the ground for safekeeping. Now, he got chastised later for that because he did nothing with it besides put it in the ground. But that's another reference to how we see that was quite common in that day in time and culture. So over the years then, as that parable also alludes then to the fact that the ground of Palestine was came a literally treasure buried in the ground for people to find. So the parable then says that when an owner of a field was going away or when a man had come upon the field, the owner of the field may have died, but somehow forcibly driven from his land like was done during the Babylonian exile, he would begin to plow the field or walk along and he'd find the treasure. It was not uncommon. It was not uncommon at all for a person to be plowing or digging in the field to accidentally come upon a treasure. So the parable, as Jesus shares it now with the crowd and the people and the disciples, is quite feasible. It was very realistic. And it was quite common. So they would understand what he was referring to. Even though it might seem strange to us, it was common for that day and time. Now, there's one thing more that should be noted, because there is a concern as we unravel these parables, there is a concern to some people that something seems not quite right about this man who happened to come upon the treasure. I mean, at first glance, the man in the parable seems to maybe be slightly dishonest in that if he found this accidentally treasure buried in the ground, he's walking about or plowing, didn't he have? Shouldn't he have taken it to the owner of the field and say, look, dude, I just found this. Shouldn't it be right for him to go back to the person who rightfully owned the property and say, well, I happen to come upon this. Does it belong to you? Shouldn't that be something that we think that he should have done? And does that point to the fact that he might be dishonest? I mean, if I somehow find a wallet if I'm walking into Casey's or Chuckles about to get my diet Mountain Dew, if I see somebody's wallet on the ground, do I take it and put it in my pocket and walk away with it? No, I mean, I try to find the owner. Years ago, when we lived in Texas. She left her purse at one of the restaurants we were at. We went all the way back home. Later, she discovered she didn't have it. So we retraced where we went, what we did. She called one of the restaurants. And sure enough, someone had turned it in. They didn't claim it for themselves. So it seems that maybe there's a little dishonesty here that's hidden in the text, that maybe he should have went and found the owner. But yet, not so much is he being dishonest, because according to that Jewish rabbinic law at the time, it said that if a man finds scattered fruit or money, it belongs to the finder. So in other words, just walking about and you find some money or some fruit it belongs to you. You get to keep it. It's like the saying is, right? Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. They get to keep it. So maybe the man's actions were not unethical or dishonest according to what was written during the law at the time. Now, as all that relates then to us in our parable of verse 44, now it's obvious the treasure didn't belong to the man who owned the field. 
or it belonged to the man who owned the field, but not the man who, who found it. I mean, if it did belong to him, he would have sold it and, and would have found the price to be able to obtain the field. But he, he didn't know it was there. So apparently because it didn't belong to the previous owner, he sold everything he had to obtain it. The man really who found the treasure was extremely honest. He didn't buy the field based upon anything he found. It indicates in the, in the text that he put it back and then later sold everything he possibly had in order to obtain it. So as we think about the parable and the things that's happening there, we need to really keep in mind the main focal point, that a man found something so valuable that he sold everything he had to get it. Further, he was so excited about finding the treasure that he was willing to do whatever he had to receive it. Again, it points us or proves once again what the main focus is of the text. That the kingdom of heaven, even our salvation, is of immeasurable value. It is incalculable. It is inestimable. As the commercial said that we're using for our message today, referring to the kingdom of heaven, it is priceless. Perhaps not able to put a value on it. It is priceless. Well, that's the first parable. Again, there's a second parable. The parable of the costly pearl, verse 45 and 46. So again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on one, finding one pearl of great value, when sold all that he had and bought it. Well, here then, the second parable is a merchant. The Greek word for merchant is emporos, where we get our word emporium. But note that the merchant was a man who would buy things wholesale and then sell them to a retailer. In the parable then, we're given a clue that he's looking specifically for beautiful pearls. And so it's quite common then for entrepreneurs in that particular day to look for pearls to sell at a particular time for revenue or to even find a high-quality pearl for themselves. In those days, people invested in pearls. In fact, pearls are perceived in the first century much like we would consider diamonds today. If you're about to get engaged, Josh, you give your woman a pearl. You wouldn't give them a diamond if you lived during that first century. And they looked upon them as being the, the most valuable gem in the world at that particular time. In fact, if you owned a pearl, you had a fortune. It's just that valuable. And there was a lot of reason that people would place such value upon the pearl. Because pearl hunting involved a great danger. The fine quality pearls were obtained from the poi, the pearl oyster. Now, since the oyster thrives at an average depth of 40 feet, people had to obviously dive down to be able to get them. Now, back in that day, they didn't have the diving equipment that exists today. They didn't have the scuba tank, the breathing apparatus, and all those things that you might use today if you're going diving. They didn't have that. What they did have was perhaps the next best thing, which is a rope and a rock. So they would tie the rope to their waist, also the other end with the rock. They would get it in a small boat, and they would leap out. And that would then would allow them to go to the depth they needed to to find the pearl. They would find all these 
oysters down there, and they would go through the mud to be able to look and find it. But on average, only one in a thousand of the oysters contained a pearl. So they were a great risk. Why they were down there tied to a rock 40 feet or more below the water because of whatever may be in the water with them, sharks, whatever, and even the fact that they may literally drown trying to find the pearl. So all that suggests again that the pearls were very precious. The Jewish Talmud said the pearls are beyond price. The Egyptians actually worshipped pearls. The Romans copied that practice a bit later. When women wanted to show their wealth, what did they do? They placed pearls in their hair. When a Roman emperor wanted to show how rich he was, he would take a pearl and vinegar and then drink them in his wine. Let it dissolve and drink it in his wine. Maybe that'd be like today, although maybe we can't relate to it, be like a billionaire about ready to light his cigar with a $100 bill. Just kind of show their wealth. Again, all that to point to the fact that pearls were a great value. The Bible even stresses the fact that pearls were precious. In Revelation 21, in verse 21, John's describing heaven, and he uses the earthly figures of speech. He mentions the streets of gold, which he placed great value on gold, and the gates of pearl in Revelation 21, 21. Again, indicating for us that it was tremendously valuable. For the pearl. So here's the second parable. This parable describes a man who goes about looking for beautiful pearls and then sells them to make a profit. But when he finds, when he finds the most beautiful pearl he has ever seen, he sells everything he has to obtain it for himself. So similar to the first parable, it demonstrates Again, our main point, that the value of the kingdom of heaven, even our salvation, is immeasurable. It is priceless. So in essence, both of the first two parables that we find written in Matthew 13 of what is known as the three parables teach us about the incomparable value of the Lord's kingdom. That's the main point. The incomparable value of the Lord's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, which we shall inherit. But there's also a subpoint I mentioned that's also found in the text. The subpoint is this that the kingdom involves a sacrifice. Both of these parables involve men who bought things of great value. But notice they had to make sacrifices, selling everything they had in order to obtain the treasure. They had to sell everything they had in order to obtain the treasure. Now, if you heard that, you're thinking, wait a minute. Are you telling me, are you suggesting, as a Baptist preacher, are you telling me that these parables then are saying that a person has to buy his salvation? Because they sold everything they had in order to receive it. Are you telling me then they had to somehow buy their salvation if we equate that? No, the answer is no, we're not saying that. I mean, yes, it is true, both the treasure and the pearl were bought with money. I'm not denying it. But Scripture is completely, abundantly clear that you cannot buy your salvation 
with money. You cannot earn it in any possible way. Sheila just had Anna to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which again says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not result of works, so that no one may boast. So you cannot obtain it in any possible way except through Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, in Acts chapter 8, there's a man called Simon the Sorcerer who somehow, some way, thought that he could buy salvation, the Holy Spirit, the kingdom. In Acts chapter 8, Peter chastises Simon. But read first in verse 18. He says, Now when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered him money. Simon offered the apostles money, saying, Give me this power so that any on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Again, the entire point is that you cannot, in any possible way, buy your salvation. You cannot earn it. You don't do enough good works to receive it. In any way, it's only Jesus, only Jesus. It's not Jesus plus something. It is only Jesus. So again, like the MasterCard commercial had told us, some things money cannot buy. And one thing that money cannot buy is the salvation or the kingdom of heaven. But as we make that point, let us also recognize this, because it should be duly noted. There is a cost of salvation. It is the price of commitment. There is a sacrifice involved. There's a cost involved in being a follower of Christ, and Jesus wants everyone to understand that, which is maybe why he's using these parables to explain this point. I mean, the point is that if it, it, we, we get guilty. We get guilty of taking things for granted. In our lives as we live them, we get completely guilty of taking things for granted. We take for granted our family. We take for granted our health. And at times, we get guilty of taking for granted our salvation. And we even get guilty of taking for granted the cost of making a sacrifice. We think there, there is no sacrifice. You know, many of us, as I look around the room this morning, we're of a younger generation. There are the exceptions. But we're a younger generation. So as we recognize of a younger generation, many of us didn't live during the Great Depression. So what that means is we don't, a lot of us know what it means to truly sacrifice in life. We get some things handed to us. We get things we take for granted to just always be there for us. Now that especially holds true for even a younger generation. Some of us picking up the coins here this morning. Or my children, my grandchildren, they really take things for granted. So we get spoiled. We get a generation here. We don't know what it is to truly have a sacrifice because we've never had to. People who are older grew up during the Depression, they know more about what it means to sacrifice. So having said that, recognize this, that there, there are sometimes attitudes that we have because we don't recognize the sacrifice 
that must exist, and because we take things for granted, that carries over into our lives as Christians and believers. And so when it comes to all the blessings of the kingdom, we don't want to sell anything. We don't want to give away anything. We don't want to sacrifice anything. Maybe we could reword to say we don't want to surrender, we don't want to commit, and we don't want to sacrifice. But the point here is, again, that there is a cost there is a, to our salvation. There is a sacrifice that we have to make. So now we turn to Luke 14, which helps to understand that, yeah, we're discussing these parables of the men who had to make a sacrifice to gain their treasure. But Jesus also told us that there would be a time which we need to give everything. In Luke chapter 14, verse 25, it says that we really need to count the cost. In Luke 14, verse 25, says large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose any of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it. Everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. For suppose the king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming with him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. But here it comes. Matthew 14, verse 33. In the same way, Jesus speaking to his disciples, speaking to all of us because we should be a disciple, says this. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. We parallel and add that text to what we're talking today about the value of the kingdom to recognize there is a sacrifice that we need to make as being a follower to receive our salvation, to, to inherit the kingdom. There, we must give up everything we have in order to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. I mean, the text begs us, would be followers, to consider the cost. and ends with the truth that pertaining to the sacrifice. Again, any of you, who does not give up everything he has, cannot be my disciple. So in sum, what we're saying here is the most significant message of these parables is that when one finds the richness of the kingdom, one must be prepared to give up everything he has or she has to attain it. Or to maybe say it another way, I borrow the words of Ian Campbell, who states, related to the parables, that the discovery is so wonderful that its value eclipses the value of everything else. Nothing can be compared with having and possessing the spiritual blessings of the kingdom of God. Nothing can be compared to the spiritual blessings of the kingdom of God. So the last question we ask ourselves today is this. What is your salvation worth to you? 
if you ever actually tried to put a value upon your salvation or the kingdom of heaven. Today, we're discussing the fact that you really cannot put a value upon the kingdom of heaven because it is immeasurable. It really is incalculable. It is inestimable. We recognize the value of the kingdom of our salvation is priceless. Yes, there's a sacrifice we must make, but the value of the kingdom, the value of our salvation is priceless. Now, if you're fully paying attention, you recognize there's one more parable with the dragnet that we haven't got into yet. So we'll save that for next week. As we further explain the last parable and all the words to follow, the weeping and gnashing of teeth that occurs as well. But today we end with this again. The main point is the value of the kingdom is immeasurable. If there is a sacrifice we must make as followers to be a disciple. But the value of our salvation, the value of the kingdom is priceless. Father, Lord, thank you for this message today that we need to receive. That points us to the truth. We are so immensely blessed. We're so thankful, Lord, that you made that sacrifice for us. I pray, Lord, to recognize that we too need to be able to will it. If, if possible, Lord, we'd be willing to give up everything we possibly have to truly be a disciple, to follow you with all of our heart. Even give up the most meaningful relationship that we have in life just to be with you, Lord, and for you to be the first priority. So, Lord, and we thank you again for this message today. It reminds us of that fact. Perhaps not new news, Lord, but perhaps news that we need to hear again. That you should be first. You should be our priority. The sacrifice you made for us, Lord, cannot be put into value but we should be extremely thankful and willing to follow you and sacrifice everything to be your disciple. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this message today. In your name we pray. Amen.